It's good to be in church, to be a part of a spiritual family, and just to come together and worship God in the same heart and in unity. Uh, I've enjoyed being a part of this spiritual family from day one, this crazy lot, and uh, I, I still enjoy it to this very day. And it's such an honor to be to uh, deliver this message to you today. Uh, we are continuing with our series, uh, the blueprint or blueprint. Uh, on campus, I have to make a disclaimer that it's bl- Blueprint, not the Jay-Z album. Because <laughs> last week I was like, we're doing Blueprint. They were like, oh, wow, which one? <laughs> like, okay, not that type of church, guys. Come on, slow down. So we're doing Blueprint. And, the basic, and, the, and basically what Blueprint is about is about values. The values that we build our lives around, the blueprints that we build our lives around, what governs our lives, what governs your life, and what governs my life, what's your code, what do you like doing, what is your thing that you, you don't like, to, what, what, what is the thing that governs, what are your principles and your morals, and what governs you. Uh, for us, sometimes we're governed by sleep. It's like, for, uh, how much hours can I get of sleep, you know? Some of us are governed by friends and all of these other things. But anyways, before I get there, let me start uh, with our vision. As a church, as a family of, of believers uh, in every nation, we believe in uh, this is our vision. We believe that we, we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. So this is our global mission. This is why we exist as a global family. And in Durban, we find we, we, we uh, have this in an expression of our mission is to reach, disciple, and impact us in, uh, every, every person, every nation, and every campus. And our vision is to honor God and advance his kingdom by being a Christ, uh, Christ-centered church that starts... Oh. By being a healthy church that starts healthy churches. It can get a bit confusing. But anyways, for now, let's submit and let's stick to the, to the global vision for now. We exist to honor God by advancing his kingdom. Uh, last week, um, Pastor Gareth kicked us off with a very inspirational message on honoring God. And uh, for me, what, I, what really stuck out to me, and I still remember to this day, uh, to this moment, is that uh, quote from that movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. Those that honor God... God will honor. If you honor God, God will honor you. If you live a life that honors God, God will honor you right back. And uh, today we are continuing. We are going, we're doing the second part of our vision, which is part of our values. We believe in, 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 in these values so much that they actually make up our vision, and which is being Christ-centered. Uh, turn to the person, person next to you and say, being Christ-centered. Are you Christ-centered? Ask them, are you Christ-centered? You know, there's this, there's this certain thing about church culture. I've been around church for quite a while. There's, there's these certain things that we do as church people. Like, for instance, when we, when we are grateful and we honor people, we don't give you gifts often. We just make you stand. Oh, Mac, we'd just like to honor you. Stand, Mac. We don't give you gifts, but we honor you. We see you. We appreciate you. And uh, there's another thing that we have as church, uh, uh, church culture is that um, we like coming out of service and out of events and out of everything. We believe everything is important. Connect group is important. Serving is important. Worship is important. So everybody must do it. 
But the problem is, it's more important for the person next to you more than it's important for you. It's always, yo, what a powerful word. I wish Mika was there to hear it. We always have this thing of, it's about the next person. (laughs) It's about the next person. It's never about you, it's about the next person. But imagine if we all had the same attitude when it comes to things like honoring God and and being Christ-centered and tithing and all of that. Be like, yo, honoring God. I, 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 come of, I come from a church that honors God. The other church members honor God. Me, I'm getting there. You know, if you all had that same attitude. Oh, in our church we tithe. Uh, well, the other guys should tithe. The ones with more money should tithe. If you all had the same attitude, who would tithe eventually? No one. Because everyone will be thinking, uh, whoever has more money than me. Then the next person whoever has more money than me. Who will honor God? Oh, the one who has more faith than me. Oh, the next person then, who the one who has more faith than me. You see, it does a death of a thousand qualifications. So as a church, as a believer, we need to take these things and embrace them for ourselves. You know, before we can go out and saying, hey, here's a podcast of the sermon, or here's a book, here's whatever, we need to embrace it in ourselves and take it up. What is our personal experience of it? What's our personal interpretation of it? And this is really important because we'll end up saying, oh, I come from a church that's Christ-centered, but it's only in Christ-centered in name, but not in heart. This needs to, we need to live it out first before we can do anything about it. All right. Before I uh, continue, let, let's get into some words uh, this morning. Uh, let's open up Luke 18 from verse 18. Okay. Before we read our words, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this this morning, God. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, as we dive into your scriptures, Lord, we find you, Jesus. That we get to encounter you, Jesus, for our lives. Lord, that we get to be revived and refreshed. That we may find our first love again. May we may find you, Lord. That we may be inspired to live lives that honor you and that are sent around you, Lord. In your holy name I pray. Amen. All right. Luke 18, 18, not the beverage, not the beverage, the scripture. What beverage? I'm glad I come from such a church that does not know what 1818 is. (laughs) Oh, now it gets there. Oh, yes, yes. Ah, it gets there. Okay, cool. Now it's okay, let's stop it now. <laughs> you can share it after church. <laughs> uh, okay, 18. Now a certain ruler uh, asked him saying, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit, to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, uh, but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not uh, commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus uh, heard, uh, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. 
and you, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became, he became uh, very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it? How hard it? How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this, uh, and, th- and those who heard, uh, who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, that, uh, that things which are impossible with man are possible with God. I like what the Message Bible says uh, from chapter 24 to 27. It reads like this. Seeing his reaction, Jesus says, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it, uh, to, or people who have it all to enter the kingdom of heaven? It is easier to thread a, a camel through an eye of a needle than get a rich person to the, uh, into God's kingdom. So, when I read the scripture, it reminded me of my very first evangelistic experience. My first encounter evangelizing. I was scared as hell, like literally. And uh, I was with this friend of mine on campus who's an American missionary. And we were going out and we were using what Campus Crusades uh, uh, for Christ uses. And that's called the Four Spiritual Laws. It's a very small booklet. It has four uh, what they call spiritual laws. And uh, basically the idea is you approach a person and you ask them, have they heard the four spiritual laws? And they go, no. And then you start sharing the four spiritual laws with them. And at the end of it, uh, you, uh, pray, you, reveal, you, you share the gospel and then you hope to re- that they may receive Christ. But the funny thing for me, maybe I wasn't that properly trained. Uh, mind you, I was only saved for about a week. So maybe I wasn't properly trained enough. But for funny thing that for me, I didn't, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad tool, but I did not appreciate using the four spiritual laws. Because there was this slight problem, is that it was very confrontational. Because my first experience was, I approached, we approached this uh, group of young ladies, and um, we said, hi, have you, yeah, we introduced ourselves, and then we started sharing. So have you heard the four spiritual laws? They were like, oh no. Okay, let's start sharing. The first one is, God loves you. And the reaction was, well, I don't believe in God. And I was like, ooh, ooh, how are we ever going to get out of this one? And then there was this discussion about how do you account for the existence of this world? How do you, uh, can something come out of nothing? Can all of that? And basically her idea was, well, I believe in science. If we don't know it now, science will prove it one day. So my faith is not in God, my faith is in science. Because we can, it's empirical. I was like, we were like, okay. The second spiritual law, we're sinful and separated from God. Well, this makes it even worse, because if you don't believe in God, well, then you separate it from God. How, oof. So she, was, she, <laughs> she had an even greater problem with this one. It's like, that's a problem with you Christians. You're busy walking around telling people that they're sinful. You're like, oof. Like oh, and and then um, my friend tried to be crafty and said, you know what, you can't. You've never taught a baby how to to be bad, have you? No, no one goes to bad classes. We just grow up being bad. 
And then the, the lady was like, yeah, yeah, we all have bad behavior. But that, is that necessarily sin? Because I don't believe in God, so there's no sin. It's just bad behavior that we all have to learn. The problem is that we're all selfish. I was like, ooh, my goodness, it's getting worse. So ultimately, this conversation become, became redundant because you didn't believe in God to believe in sin. And we, we continued sharing the spiritual laws. We went through that uh, the only way to get through God is through Jesus. And that's the only, and we have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And she laughed it off and took the booklet and said, well, it was nice meeting you guys. And we walked away. And we met another guy. And this guy, he believed in God. Yay! He says he believes in God. He, he loves God. He wants a relationship with God. And secondly, we're separated uh, from, uh, from God with, by our sins. Oh boy. And then he started, well, the truth is everyone's sinful. Everyone wants to sin. So we all have this sin issue. And he agreed, okay, we have sin. And then second, uh, uh, third question, do, uh, the only way to get to God is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, well, I'm not sure. Because... If I do accept Jesus, then I have a problem. There's so many people walking around who saying they follow Jesus, but they keep doing exactly what they're doing. Their life is exactly the same. And I don't want to be one of those hypocrites. You know, there's something that I love about non-believers, uh, com- uh, sharing the gospel with non-believers. They're very honest. <laughs> they just go straight to the point. I don't want to be a hypocrite. All right. And then we went on to, you need to accept Jesus through faith, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And it's like, okay, maybe I can try and do that, but there's quite a lot of fun that I still want to enjoy in life. And I know if I do this, my fun will get seriously ruined. And uh, there was this, at the end of this booklet, there's these two diagrams that are there. And this diagram is one of a self-directed life, another one of a Christ-directed life. There's, uh, you see, it's over there. There's one of where Jesus is on the chair, self uh, Christ directed life, and there's another one of Jesus who's not on the chair, who's outside of your life, and you're on your chair. And he had a serious issue with this diagram. He was like, I don't think I should, I, I don't think I can believe in this. I, I, I can't do this. I asked him, why? What's wrong? And he said, well, I know if I, take Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and I want my life to be directed by him there are certain things that I will have to give up and I still want to be rich I want to have money I want to have everything I want to have fun so if Christ is at the center of my life that means I can't have all of that my friend tried to rescue the situation by saying do you know about Solomon you know he was a believer he was yet one of the richest kings of Israel he said well I don't know about Solomon but nowadays if you want to be rich you have to hold on to God, but loosely, not too close, <laughs> loosely. <laughs> so it's exactly like the same, uh, this, uh, this rich young ruler in Matthew 18. He wanted God, but he also wanted his riches. And this is what I found in life is that. Most people have this balance of God and sinful pleasures or pleasure. I want God, 
uh, I'm not sure, I think it's John Piper, oh no, it's C.S. Lewis, who says, we have a God-shaped hole inside of our souls. Every single human being has this desire to have a relationship with this God. But the problem is, we have an even, well, an almost even greater appetite for pleasure. We want God and we want pleasure. So what do people do? We walk a tightrope, just like this, uh, this young man. We find a balance, push this side and pull this side. And this is how we find this balance. Do good and God will be happy with you. God will be pleased. Like this, like, like this uh, ruler. He said, I've not committed adultery. I've honored my father and mother. I've done everything good. So God must be pleased with me. Notice what, what he says to Jesus. He says, good teacher. His main prerogative is about goodness. He's asking. He wants to know about goodness. He's trying to impress Jesus with his goodness. Oh, good sir. Tell me, what does it take to, eternal, to inherit eternal life? Expecting Jesus to say, you know what? You're such a good person. You're probably the first in line. On the other hand, when he speaks to Jesus, Jesus says, okay, you are good. All right, you're good according to your own eyes. But there's this problem. Sell all you have and follow me. Let go of your pleasure. Let go of what you enjoy. The reason why I, 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 I wanted to read this in the NIV, in, in the Message Bible, it says, it's difficult for people who have it all to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult for us to enter the kingdom of God when we have stuff, when we have things that we want to hold on to. We have to let go of stuff before we enter the kingdom of God. So people live this balance. Do good and enjoy your life. That's, that's the environment I grew up in when I was growing up. This is what people did. I'm a good person and I enjoy my life. It reminds me of a, a conversation Peter Hammond uh, told, me, uh, told us about that he had with Nelson Mandela. Well, Peter Hammond, being Peter Hammond, was busy at, at Nelson Mandela's office and saying, you're going to burn in hell. And then Nelson Mandela's like, but I'm a good person. So the idea and the prevalent idea in the world is be good and God will be pleased with you. There's uh, another one where we've been doing the God test during the outreach internship. And when we asked people this question, what do you think God's expectation of you is? And the response is, well, God wants me to just be. Like, what do you mean just be? And basically, well, he says, basically, God just want me to, wants me to be who, exactly who I am. I was born this way. And God created me this way, and he's happy with the way I am. So if I become the best, the best that I could be, then God is happy. Enjoy my pleasures, be good. And I was like, and then I asked him about issues of sin and all of that. He said, well, I'm not a, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. A lot of people believe they're good people. Everyone, in their eyes, they're good. Even a criminal. My cousin, who had a friend who used to steal stuff from people's houses, <laughs> said, before they even go into their house, they would pray. <laughs> you laugh. 
There's a song, there's a song by the, uh, by the muffin, by the muffins, a, lo- a local jazz group. And in that song, uh, it's called Ghetto. They say, uh, please, Lord, when judgment comes, forgive us, Lord, before we have made our, mis- our mistakes. We were forced to live a life of thieving and sinning because we we're doomed from the get-go. Circumstance forces me to do the wrong thing. I'm a good person, but the circumstance, where am I going to get money? I'm a good person. You know, criminals in Durban are so polite. They ask you for your phone. May I please have your phone? Because I'm a good person. I ask nicely. It's just that circumstances are forcing me to ask you for your phone. <laughs> so we live this tightrope. Do good and find yourself acceptable to Jesus, uh, to God. Enjoy your pleasures. For me, when I was growing up, I had this conversation with my mother because I had questions. I, I was the, you, you, have you ever had that annoying little cousin who asks endless questions? I was that person. I would ask endless questions until people say, you know what? I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> or just go outside and play. I'm like, I can't play outside. It's too hot. I want to ask you this. <laughs> so uh, I, I was having this conversation about, with, with my mother about ancestralism. I was like, well, if, if God, if, if, if we have to pray to our ancestors for us to get to God, what is the point of having Jesus? What's, what's this Jesus thing? And if you can take this question and put it on further. If my good works are pleasurable to God, and God is okay with me just being, what's the point of Jesus? My mother had a very witty answer. She said, well, Jesus is another name for God. I was like, okay. (laughs) I see what you're thinking right there. Let me walk away. (laughs) So, the question of Jesus Let's go back to this, uh, to, 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 uh, Matthew 18. When Jesus, uh, to Matthew 18, when Jesus asks this young man, sell all you have and follow me. If somebody sell, tells you to sell all you have and follow them, you have to ask yourself a, sil- a serious question. Who's asking? Seriously, seriously, who's asking? This young man, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to call him young because he's a couple of decades older than me. <laughs> this young man was searching for a relationship with God. He was searching to fill this God-sized hole in his heart. But he did not know who, who he was speaking with. He did not know who he had an encounter with. Even at the beginning of the scripture, Jesus gives him a clue. He says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. Like trying to give you a hint. Nudge, nudge. See who you're talking to. And a lot of people suffer from this problem of trying to please God with our works. And we're trying to get God with our works because we can't let go of our pleasures. And Philip had the same problem in in John 14. Philip wanted a relationship with God. That's why he was following Jesus. And he says to Jesus... Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Then Jesus responds, 
And he answers, don't you, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you, I've been amongst you, with you for so long, that when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip was only, was going to be satisfied with seeing Jesus. Just seeing, not Jesus, sorry, but just seeing God, just seeing God. You know, like if an important person were to come to church and after they finished their presentation, it's like if Rice Brooks was here and he preached a sermon, then afterwards Pumlani will be running after. If only I could just see him. I just want to see him. That will be enough for me. I'll just want to see him. That's, uh, and this is what Philip says. I just want to see him. And then Jesus says, Philip, don't you understand? Philip, don't you get it? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip was looking for something greater. But lo and behold, he had it all along. He lived with God. He walked with God. He ate with God. He was in the very presence of God. It's the same thing with, this, with the young, young ruler. He did not recognize who you who was talking to. What's the importance of Jesus? Where is Jesus? Jesus came that we may have a personal relationship with God. A personal relationship with God. How can we understand God if he's transcendent and he's above? So God became man so that we can have a personal relationship with God. My friend uh, Tabo, who uh, lives in Joburg now, had a beautiful poem on sexual purity. And he said, have you not resisted temptation to the point of bloodshed? Quoting what Jesus had gone through in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his whole point was that God understands. Jesus came down and he became flesh so we can have a human interaction with God. So we can understand God in a human level. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He, he was in the beginning with God. And 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst, amongst us and we beheld his glory and the glory, and the glory as of all and <clears throat> sorry, my bad. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. When we are Christ-centered and we seek a relationship with Jesus, we beheld God's glory. We encounter it more and more on a personal basis. The problem with works and trying to be good is that it will never get you a relationship with God. It can never get you a personal relationship with God. This young man was good from a young age. He did all the right things. He was morally good according to our standards. But he never had a personal relationship with God. There are atheists in the world who will probably outdo you when it comes to manners. But that doesn't mean they have a personal relationship with God. For us to be Christ-centered, we have to first have a personal relationship with God. A one-on-one relationship with God. To know Him, behold His glory. Sometimes we have this problem that we try to work our way towards God. 
because we're feeling guilty. And we're trying to work our way towards God. There's this interesting uh, thing that happened to me a couple of months back. Uh, we have prayer meetings on campus on Tuesdays. And uh, I go there early because I always want to be early. And I get in the prayer meeting starts at six and I get there like at quarter to six or, or sometimes like that. And I get there and I sit and I get the prayer points out and I sit and I sit. And often than not, I sit and sit till half past six with no one showing up. It's just me and the Lord. <laughs> then half past six people start showing up. And the funny thing is that at six o'clock, without a miss, a group from Shambi starts praying. I'm here waiting for my Christians to start praying. The Shembe people are ready without a miss. On the dot, they start praying and they start chanting and they're making all that noise. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, mm, course, I think I'm in the wrong religion. <laughs> and then I had this conversation with one of our leaders who came in like at that, like a quarter past six and she came in and she sat there and I was like, you know what, you guys, you always get here so late, but those Shembe people, they're on time. What is wrong with you? And she, she said to me, well, they have religion, we have relationship. <laughs> she's right, technically, but she's wrong. See the thing (laughs) See the thing is that God wants us to have a relationship with him A relationship means It's not the fact that you It's not about How you It's not about showing up That you're there That you did the prayer It's about why you prayed Your motive is more important Than your actions Uh John Piper tells the story of a, a husband who comes home on Valentine's Day with a bunch of flowers and he says to his, to his wife, there you go. And the wife says, oh, that's so nice, thank you. And he says, well, it's February the 14th and customs of, of, of this world dictates that all good husbands are supposed to give flowers on February the 14th. <laughs> he did it. He did it, but the motive was wrong. The motive was wrong. That's like, the, that's like those people who believe that by praying at 6 o'clock on the dot, you get to have a relationship with God because that's what God wants, wants your good works. But what if this husband was saying, oh, it was my pleasure. It's because I love you. And say all those kinds of romantic things that married people say. I'm not married. I don't have romantic words. <laughs> so... It's not the fact that we can, it's not the fact that we have to pray. It's the fact that we get to pray. And we, if we show up late to our prayer meetings, we give love a bad name. We give this relationship with God a bad name. Because sometimes we can move to the extreme, what people call hyper grace. Oh, it doesn't matter. If I come late, God is pleased with me. I'm forgiven, hallelujah, amen, brother. If I do whatever I like, God is pleased with me still. If you love God, then show up. On time. 
Because you love him. Paul says, the love of God compels me. Can the love of God compel you? Sometimes we live a life that looks Christ-centered or we feel like we're Christ-centered when we're not. We have this, what they call a placebo effect. We feel like Jesus is at the center, but he's truly not. And uh, King Saul had the same issue in um, 1 Samuel 10, where he was never like the religious type. Ne? He wasn't, you know, and him and God were, they, they knew each other, but they were not on the same level. They were sort of, kind of. And when Saul, and when Saul came around a bunch of prophets, the spirit of the Lord came unto Saul and Saul began to prophesy. The environment that Saul found himself in made it seem like Saul was very close to God to the extent that his friends started saying, oh wow, even Saul can prophesy. Not because of his relationship with God, because of the environment that we find ourselves in. And sometimes people act Christ-like, Christ-centered because of the environment, because of people. Have you ever gone jogging and you're busy jogging and you're unfit like me? And then you all of a sudden you stop and you take a breath and you're like, and this old lady comes running past you and she goes, hi. <laughs> and you're standing there and you're huffing and puffing. You're like, mm, special place in hell. <laughs> and then you get up and you keep jogging. And the next time you come across another person, you stop. Instead of walking, you puff up your chest and you get your chin high and you're like, Hi. Because now the environment is forcing you to act right. You know, sometimes people, they just got to let us enjoy things. We're not jogging because we're trying to get fit. We're trying to get a st- an Instagram post. <laughs> Nothing can stop me now. 15Ks a day. <laughs> let us enjoy things. If you're serious about jogging, don't wave. Don't wave. You make us feel bad. Let's enjoy. (laughs) But back to the point. Uh, People, the environment that you find yourself in may make you feel like you're Christ-centered. I've met a couple of people who are on campus, on fire for Jesus, praying in tongues, doing whatever, showing up early for prayer meetings because their friends are around them. As soon as those friends graduate, then they start slacking. And then you, you set up an appointment with him or them. And then 10 days and two weeks later, you finally get to meet them. And they tell you, look, you know what? It was just my friends. I realized when they left that I didn't feel it anymore. That's not being Christ-centered. That's being other people-centered. My relationship with God is through my friends. And that's how I get to experience God. Another environmental factor that we can find ourselves in that will give us this placebo effect is our leaders. I skip the worship at church. I show up when Bob Cause is about to get up on stage and preach because he's a true African man. He doesn't have those fancy, snotty English accent like that other guy's bore. He can really determine. <laughs> The word of God. 
Or some of us are still waiting for Wayne to come back. I can't wait for Wayne to come back. It's 40 years in the desert. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a joke, but uh, I had friends on campus who had this bad habit of saying... It's a bit of a sensitive issue, but they used to say that everything that a guy would, does that is bad or out of like what we term good, they would call that gay. So if someone didn't want to lift a speaker, they'd be like, oh, that's so gay. <laughs> if someone was like always late, they'd be like, oh, that's so gay. So me and my other friend we felt this conviction of like, "Mm -mm, this is not right, because there were certain people in our midst who were struggling with homosexual leanings. They weren't homosexual yet, but they were struggling with homosexual leanings. And we spoke to them, and we were like, guys, if you keep saying that everything bad is gay, you're making gayness to be the ultimate sin. And they were like, oh, that's so gay. (laughs) Like, <laughs> what to do? So we we had a serious argument. We we're like, guys, we're being serious here. If someone were to come around us and they would hear you say that, and they're struggling with that very same issue, do you think they would come back to church? And they were like, okay, we we just don't want to hear it. You guys are being gay. We walked away. It was an argument. A month later, they come back and they're like, Ish, guys, this thing of saying it's gay, guys, it's got to stop. It's like, oh, really? What, changed, what made you change your mind? Uh, we spoke with Winston. Like, what? <laughs> we told you. We fought with you. We, didn't, we almost ended up not speaking. But you had to go and speak to Winston. And Winston had to go speak to you about the very same issue. Because Winston said it, now you listen. When we say it, you don't listen. Relationship with God was through the leader, not Christ-centered, not an individual relationship with God. Winston left. I don't know what they're up to nowadays. We have to be Christ-centered, not other people-centered, not leader-centered. Another environmental factor is experience. When we come to church, glory, (laughs) the worship, the honor, the awe, and you feel the presence of God, you feel the anointing flowing in the room. You you know, I'm black too, we get there. Um, When we have that experience with God, when it's about the worship, get so caught up in that whole experience that whole feeling and that whole thing of, you know, like that of being, of feeling this transcendency and this power and all of that, they get so addicted to it, they forget about the person of Christ, where they chase after experiences. When people are hopping from one church service to the other church service because they want that, that feeling. When someone leaves church because the song was not that good, I did not feel it. The presence wasn't the presence wasn't there, so that church is broken. Something's wrong with it. I'm gonna find a place where I can feel the presence, where we searching after the experience. 
You know, we can search after the experience but miss the person of Christ. Jesus said something so scary in Matthew. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some of you will come saying, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not heal, heal people in your name? You know, we could do a whole lot of things that are experience driven. We can drive out demons. We can talk to them. We can torture them. We can do whatever you like. You can kick them. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if your life is not Christ-centered, then you'll struggle. We've got to look at our environment. Don't let it dictate what happens in your life and your in your walk with God. Let Jesus be at the center. Let him be the one who's in control. Not other people, not the environment. The, 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 the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he was looking for eternal life. And Jesus said, sell all you have and come follow me. And he was sad and he walked away. Funny thing is that in John 17, 3, Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true, uh, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is, is the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus was telling him how to get eternal life. Sell all you have and follow me. You'll get what you want. This issue of pleasure, this issue of holding on to things. You know, when you realize that God is the one who's telling you to sell all you have, it changes everything. Because if you, if you decide not to sell all you have, what do you have left? You may have all the money in the world, but you're not, you're not with God. I don't want to lie to you. That's being honest. Jesus was always about you either with me or you're not with me. There's no middle ground. Some of us try to carve out a middle ground. There's no middle ground. There's a, a Christian artist who has a song and he says, if you own something you cannot depart with, you probably don't own it, it owns you. What, are, what is your riches? What is your money? What, are the thing, what, are, what is the thing that is at the center? I want us to think about that. There's a story by Ravi Zacharias. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you who is it by because I don't want to steal it. I'm a good student. I don't like plagiarizing. And in this story, he tells of a, an article he read on an in-flight mag magazine. And in this article, it talks about corruption. And basically what happens in this article is that there's a story of two uh, people flying in an airplane. And it's a very attractive young man and an attractive young woman. And this man begins to talk to this woman, and uh, he, tells, he tells her about his riches. You know, he's got millions, he's going to that place, to that city to make that deal, and all of that is wheeling and dealing. And this woman's impressed. And this man turns around to this woman, and he proposes that uh, they enjoy a night of pleasure together for $1 million. So the lady was like, a million dollars in a foreign city. So she agreed. And they were busy talking about the location, the times, and all of that. And when they've had that sorted out, this young man turns to this lady and he says, now that we have that sorted out, there's a slight problem. 
I'm not that rich. Uh, if you, can you do it for a thousand dollars? And this lady turns around and he says to this man, who do you take me for? And this man says to him, well, lady, I think we've established that. It's the only thing we're arguing about is the price. What's your million dollars? What are the things in this life that you would say to Jesus when he comes asking for them? Mm-mm. Not this one. Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your self-image? Or your status in society? Is it your children? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your sleep? Is it your soapies? Is it your soccer? Is it your food? What is it? We have, sometimes what we have to do is we have to remove certain things at the throne of our lives for us to have a relationship with God. There comes a point when you have to remove all these things, when these things have to be removed from your life. Sometimes we have to get them out of our lives completely. Sometimes it's just removing them from where they are and prioritizing your life right, being more Christ-centered. God is a jealous God. He will not give his glory to another. He will not share you with somebody else. He will not share you with something else. It's either him or nothing. It's either with Christ-centered or nothing. Some of us are some of some of us are sitting here and we're listening, and our lives are Christ-centered, and we've been Christ-centered, and we're struggling, or we we sacrificing so much, but no one sees, and no one hears. This conversation continued to Luke 18:28, when Peter who's always ever so expressive and quick to say everything that everyone's thinking. Peter said, we left everything we had and followed you. We left it all. Jesus, we're not like him. We left it all. We left everything. Jesus responds to him and says, truly I tell you, no one who, le- no one who, le- who leaves home or a wife or a brother or a sister or a parent or a child for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to, and, and, and in the age to come eternal life if you have given up something no one will ever see those moments where you decide to submit to the lordship of Jesus no one will ever see you when you decide not to respond to that offer or that offer for corruption or that bribe, no one will see. There's no billboard that people will celebrate. But God sees. If you're worried about what you're going to lose, the pleasure that you're going to lose, the fun, the money, whatever you've held on to as your security, Jesus said, if you leave what you have 
for his sake you will get it two times over in this life and in the next God is good for it God has your back like what Gareth said last week if you honor God God will honor you there's no such thing as a free lunch and there's no such thing as free service what you do in this life or what you're doing for God you'll gain a reward for it it might not be the reward that you expected but it's God will reward you God will reward you and if you're sitting here and you're saying you know what that was me the environment the environment I'm in is dictating my relationship with God the people around me are dictating my leaders dictating my relationship with God the experience the environment of coming around here this multicultural experience I never get to go to church with white people but this place is different I just want to I just want to remind you of something in Luke 24 when Jesus was resurrected and he was walking on the road to Emmaus and he walked across a bunch of people who were busy talking about what had happened when he was when he was when he died what Jesus did was he started to begin to reveal to unravel the scriptures he started to talk to, to, to show them the Bible he gave them a comprehensive Bible study he started from Genesis all the way up to maps and he was busy revealing the character of who Jesus is and he was revealing why Jesus had to come and die so that we may have a relationship with him he revealed who God was to them and when he left them they're like no stay with us a little bit further and when he when he finally left them they said to themselves did not our hearts burn within us when we spend time in the word finding the revelation of who Jesus is studying and finding out more and more having this personal relationship when Jesus when Jesus stops being just a theory that's being preached at church and suddenly becomes a person whom you know and you live with and is in your heart that's when you'll get to experience the joy of being Christ centered that's the greatest pleasure there is because you know you understand you you've seen you've heard and you've behold the glory and you've behold the light church i want to encourage you let's live lives that are christ-centered and if you if you are living that life keep keep continue continue living that life keep at it one day you'll reap, you'll, you'll reap an eternal reward can we please all can we all stand